right, and welcome to this edition of Freightonomics. Freightonomics, the podcast where we discuss both freight and the macroeconomic environment and how the two work together and how we can gain insights from both. And with me, as always, is Anthony Smith, lead economist, among other things. Um, you know, he's going to be monitoring LinkedIn and other social media uh, outlets to make sure that all our comments are received and addressed uh, in a timely fashion. That's well, right. As well as give us some uh, some of that fresh macroeconomic insight. And uh, later on the show today, Anthony, I'm really excited about our show today. Yeah. And I think this is really going to be a yeah. big one because I always say, as you just mentioned, I'm going to be checking the social media platforms. I'm going to be on LinkedIn, Facebook, all that good stuff. But I think this is going to be a show where we're really going to have a lot of good conversation just because of the topic. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk to PowerFleet CEO Chris Wolf about the distribution of the Holy Grail. And by the Holy Grail, I mean the vaccine for this <laughs> never-ending uh, virus that has spread throughout the globe and how, of course, that is going to change our world. Um, you know, we're, you know, I guess they've projected that here in the next week, even, they may have that approval for the vaccine. Uh, one of the big questions, of course, is how they're going to get it to everybody that needs it. Uh, the, the channels that it goes through, it's not just sim as simple as just flipping a switch and saying, here's the vaccine. Everyone has it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of logistics involved. There's been a lot of questions about, uh, around how much that is going to impact the you know, supply chains right now, distribution channels, transportation, obviously, uh, and all that. And what has been an, an historic, <laughs> a historically tight freight market, uh, domestic transportation, of course, still struggling to keep up with all that demand. And now we have this virus on top of it, or the, the vaccine on top of it that you know, could have some pretty significant impacts downstream. Definitely. And I think when we're looking at this, there's so many stories around this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a camp of people like, hey, I'm not touching this thing. <laughs> I want to see how it kind of, and then some people are like, hey, maybe middle ground, I'm okay with taking this vaccine. Just maybe I want to make sure that it's safe. Let me give it a, a couple months or whatever. And, and some that are just like, hey, I want it as soon as possible. Um, but what do you think? Question, I don't know. What do you think <laughs> about the potential proposal of, um, there being some kind of economic incentive or a stimulus package behind uh, the virus or the vaccine. That's that, you know, I, it's a little oogie to me. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to be honest. Uh, I don't know if I really like, like you should be incentivized at this point to, you know, your doctor should have some advice for you there as well. Um, you know, medical professionals, have we gotten to the point where it's the price is right um, for, <laughs> for every kind of thing that we do? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I feel about the government kind of, I almost feel more nervous about taking something that the government's like, here, yeah. I'll give you a, I'll give you a lollipop yeah. if you, if you take it like that, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, right. And I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had a chance to talk with um, Zach Rogers who, are, who we're going to have uh, at some point here on the show, not today, but in right. the, in the near future. But one of the things that came up in conversation was, I mean, it's almost like a barrier behind aid and, Although the vaccine is, is, you know, for, you know, good use and all that other stuff, help protect your body and all that good stuff. But some people are going to have bad reactions or adverse reactions. Or some people can't even take these vaccines because of certain allergies. And so is there going to be some kind of way to, uh, you know, combat that? We have Rhonda right now in the comments um, saying that she's waiting for sure, but that's just her choice, thankfully. Mm -hmm. 
and no way in favor of incentives for taking. And I think that's also going to feed into a lot of those those theories of, hey, there's something in this virus. They're going to be tracking us with nobody, this virus. Nobody trusts the government anyway. And yeah, now we're, this now is going to make it even like, worse a yeah, little bit. <laughs> I mean, and, they, and everybody wonders. I was listening to Dan Lebetard on uh, ESPN Radio one day, and he was like, why is it, and this surprised me from a media person, uh, mm-hmm. why is it, that we uh, as a country, as a society, don't trust expertise or we devalue expertise. And I'm like, well, listen to the leaders that talk about each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've learned it from you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we learned it by listening to you because you each give us reasons not to listen to one side or the other. And uh, some of those are valid. We, we can't tell anymore. You know, in the age of information, uh, it's almost like you ha- you, you're really almost at a you're doing yourself a disservice yeah. Uh, because we've got so much information available to us nowadays and we don't know what's real and what's not. Now, of course, everything on Freightonomics, 100% certified. 100% facts. We don't, we don't, we don't dabble in the gossip and, and the, and the hearsay. Uh, Except for maybe consumer confidence and oh, consumer sentiment. I mean, it's not, exists some the, of the factual reportings, but is it really like fact based hard numbers? Oh man. You know, Hey, how are you feeling today? <laughs> About an eight. Okay. Eight and a half. Super, yeah, that's super concrete, and I can, I can build off that. Better as we go. <laughs> but for, before we get into all the COVID uh, supply chain and all that kind of stuff, because I want to get to a few of these stories because I find it very topical and interesting this year to talk about Christmas tree distribution. Mm. So Linda Baker uh, actually lives in Portland, very close to where one of the main uh, areas for c- Christmas tree, uh, the Christmas tree supply for the United States is, um, wrote an... Uh, the story, oh, COVID Christmas tree, <laughs> uh, basically saying that Christmas tree volumes or demand has been elevated year over year. The two main distribution areas for Christmas trees, growing areas uh, in the United States, do you know what those are? Where are they? Uh, give me one guess. The two... Two main growing areas for Christmas trees in the United States. In the United States, I'm going to say... If you were a freight broker, you'd know immediately. <laughs> the Northeast? Nope. Oh, okay. Oregon? Okay. And North Carolina? Okay. So Christmas tree season, affectionately called up in the Northwest, is the one time of year where carriers don't mind <laughs> going, going into the there. Pacific Northwest uh, because they can haul a ton of Christmas trees. And, uh, you know, it says in the article that they are seeing about 10% more demand uh, this year versus last year. Of course, they're getting more money for it if you're hauling this stuff than they were year over year because, you know, capacity is already tight. Uh, they're seeing about uh, $200 more per load this year than last year hauling to California, $500 more per load when you're, when they're hauling to Texas from the Pacific Northwest. So it is a lucrative job hauling these seasonal items. They're, they're expecting the season to be more acute. Uh, so basically a lot stronger mm. for a shorter period of time because everybody's sitting in their house getting Christmas trees. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of individuals, like you said, just sheltering at place. And typically, I know the other thing that we usually see when we kind of get into this time of the year, colder weather, people sit at home even more so and they start kind of furniture shopping. Yes. They just kind of, you know, hey, (laughs) we've had this couch for an entire year. I guess the big question will be how much of that have they already done this year mm-hmm. because they've been in their house for so long. Right. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see just how, you know, all that kind of plays out. Housing demand is still pretty epic, is it not? It is. It's, it's still going strong. A lot of demand, of course, as always, historical low interest rates. I don't know if that's ever not going to be a thing for uh, mm-hmm. the next few months. 
Of course, we're going to have some slowing down as we get into the, the colder months in many regions throughout the United States. But the fact remains, you know, tale of two consumers, those mm-hmm. that have been able to retain employment and, you know, their uh, life hasn't changed, but because they're just working remotely are still very much active in buying a home, especially entry level homes or those in the suburbs to kind of get out of those metropolitan areas. California, of course, having an exodus of sorts, uh, many in the New York City area, um, getting out to the more of the suburbs. Um, or maybe just getting out altogether to a whole new state. So We need to do a show on the fallout of 2020 because we had this reaction to going indoors and sheltering at home, having everybody come back, you know, go work at home. Uh, there's going to be another adjustment period once this vaccine gets distributed and everybody starts living their lives, and it's not going to be the way it was before. Right. <laughs> so I think we need to do a show on, uh, on what that's going to look like. In the meantime... We just had our uh, holiday season kickoff with Black Friday, traditional. Yep. Uh, I didn't know if it was going to be as booming because everybody's been, like I said, purchasing at home already. Well, according to real estate company CBRE and Otoro, uh, they are expecting a 73% <laughs> increase over the five-year average for re- uh, e-commerce sales during the holiday season. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And uh, it's just one of those areas that you really can't over estimate or over forecast and say like, ah, oh, that <laughs> hasn't met <laughs> demand expectations. And so I think this is going to be an area that's always going to outseed, um, I mean, over uh, perform, outperform expectations. Of course, we're looking at just um, any kinds of forecast for retail sales and e-commerce. And I think, as you mentioned, the new normal um, for many individuals is going to be re- uh, kind of revolving around uh, that e-commerce lifestyle. Um, and one of the things that we saw, of course, in the most recent employment report uh, for job openings is that warehousing uh, and employment opportunities really were one of the main growers um, when we look at month-to-month activity for any type of um, employment opportunities. It's, uh, you know, the workplace is going to be different. The employment levels are going to be different. All sorts of stuff's going to be different there um, as we get back to, I don't know if you call it normalcy or new normal or whatever your buzzword is. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's something. But uh, Greg Miller writes that the container import boom likely to last into March or longer. Talked to Greg Miller yesterday on the midday market update about this in general, basically saying that capacity is booked. <laughs> Not just to Chinese New Year, but in like beyond Chinese New Year. So if you're trying to pull freight into this country, you're you're too late. Right. If you're trying to get it here before March, you're too late. Uh, there's there's no room on these ships. These vessels are already at capacity. Rates are capped right around four thousand dollars per forty foot coming from the, on the Trans Pacific side. They basically put a cap on that. There's also an article on uh, Freightways.com about that as well. Uh, written by Greg Miller himself, <laughs> just covers all things maritime. Um, so yeah, there's, there's still a lot. There's, we've still got a long tail to what's occurring right here. But in the meantime, we've got this vaccine. Yeah, we do. And we're bringing on Chris Wolf to ask a few questions because I personally, Anthony, um, have had a ton of questions about how, what this distribution looks like. How is it going to impact freight in the United States? How's it, what does it look like? The supply chain? How do they, how do they package this thing? How do they move it, et cetera? So let's bring on Chris Wolf, uh, PowerFleet CEO. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Zach. Hi, Anthony. How you guys doing? Doing great. So 
Chris, go ahead. I know you've been on the show before, uh, you know, but tell, give everybody a little bit of background on Powerfleet and yourself uh, before we get started. Yeah, Powerfleet, uh, we're a telemetry provider of everything from bumper to cargo. So you think about uh, whether you're in cab, refrigerated, two-way command and control, uh, your container, your chassis, uh, your drive-in trailer, or the freight itself getting to the uh, topic at hand. Uh, we actually have a telemetry mobility platform that can actually help you track, monitor, and manage, and actually improve your safety of your operation at the same time. Uh, my background, uh, many of your uh, viewers probably know who I am, but it's like I used to run Omnitrax uh, back in the heyday, which uh, was a long time ago. And prior to that, I was an enterprise class uh, software engineer for Roadway Express and as well as for leaseway transportation. So actually coming out of the industry, uh, building order shipment tracking systems and operational control systems. All things data and transportation, you speak my language. Um, <laughs> hence, I love having you on this show. Uh, so let's get things kicked off here. Um, you know, what does, you know, this supply chain look like for the vaccine? How do, you know, it's got a few origin points across the globe. A uh, number of those, some of them are in Belgium, some are in China. Uh, how does, how does the vaccine get from origin to the final destination? Uh, predominantly most of, uh, the pharmaceutical companies use, uh, third party logistics providers to handle all of their logistics outbound. Uh, so that being said, they're all working right now on those plans and then on the uh, capacity within the various modes. So you, you already mentioned the container ships being totally booked. Much of this freight, I would probably say almost all this freight uh, dealing with the virus is going to move uh, by plane. Uh, and it's also going to be specially chartered aircraft uh, because of the timeliness and the requirements around it. Uh, everyone knows the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, you know, we you know, we are actually involved in uh, vaccine transport already. We we helped the French Red Cross. I don't know if you saw the announcement later uh, earlier this summer, uh, moving Ebola as well as COVID uh, testing equipment and uh, supplies, which require temperature monitoring, all the way into the Congo and back uh, out of France. And uh, we do that right now in Israel, uh, moving uh, medical supplies and vaccines, et cetera. So. I think if you're talking about the uh, the Pfizer vaccine, it's a negative 80 degrees Celsius. It's a very, uh, you know, you know that is very specialized equipment, specialized containers, a very tricky, uh, you know, to get it from point A to B. You have to really watch how many touch points you have, how many transit uh, stops you have, where the freight is actually changing hands. And then, the, you know, because, again, it's very time sensitive at that temperature. And then, uh, obviously, the Moderna vaccine, which is coming out right now, is negative 20. Uh, that actually is in the sweet spot of most monitoring devices. Our monitoring devices, uh, you know, can actually handle that very well. And then the AstraZeneca is actually uh, less temperature sensitive than those two. So, again, the less temperature sensitive uh, the vaccine is, obviously, the more uh, logistics opportunities you, you have, the, the more options you have. So, uh, you know, what do you think the impact is going to be to the domestic transportation environment? You know, that negative 80 degrees Celsius doesn't necessarily lend itself too great to a reefer trailer. Am I right? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. We do have two-way command and control reefer, but I, I have, I'm, by the way, I would never say we could get down to negative 80. I think <laughs> you'd probably, you know, just freeze our device and, you know, crack in half. Um, 
they actually have built specialized containers for that. So, and the container itself has monitoring capability. So again, they're, and that was Carrier that announced that. Uh, so you know, hats off to Carrier for being very quick at that. The question is whether or not they actually have the capacity to ramp up. And everyone needs to keep in mind too, this is like the proverbial pig in the python, right? It's, we already have a very good distribution network for the flu vaccine. And by the way, for every vaccine, you can go get a vaccine at the CVS or, or your local farm pharmacy. So the supply chain already exists. It's really handling the surge and the, uh, the specialty around specifically the Pfizer vaccine. And once that pig through the python's done, you know, then I think everything will go into what's called, you know, like the normal state of affairs for distribution. But we definitely have that big surge and coming at us right now in the next year. Yeah, that's going to be a uh, an interesting, uh, I like your analogy, pig and the python. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, this vaccine coming over on a plane, uh, then it has to get transferred. So there's touch points involved there. Uh, you know, what are some of the potential shortfalls or, or problems with that, you know, handoff, especially as you're talking about, you know, we only have 20% availability on airlines right now. So some of that infrastructure is not available. Uh, do you think that there's other areas of the uh, that distribution channel that aren't necessarily all the way there either? Well, I think on the, you know, the air capacity, you know, obviously there's going to be chartered air capacity. There's actually military capability that, you know, military airlift command, you know, we actually have, you know, a lot of airlift capacity to bring uh bring this or anything into the United States or anywhere for that matter. Um, you know, I think if once it gets here, the problem, kind of the benefit of having a negative 80 degree product is like, you're going to have to have a very specialized supply chain with very few touch points. And they've already engineered and figured that out for the Pfizer vaccine. It's the other vaccines, which ha actually can use multiple modes, we're going to have more touch points. So, again, that's where our refrigerated monitoring capability, and by the way, the ability to set and change the, uh, the, the temperature within a, a refrigerated unit is very critical while it's in transit. You know, it's one thing to monitor. It's another thing to actually be able to make an adjustment before things go south. And so what we we believe, like with the Moderna vaccine and the other ones, they're going to require real-time monitoring uh, there's going to be a lot more uh, touch points, a lot more transit points, and every one of those is a temperature incursion event. So, you know, obviously, if you're transferring it in Ohio and, and it's already minus eight, uh, 20, that's fine. <laughs> but if you're transferring in Florida, where I'm at right now, uh, you're definitely going to want, want to watch those touch points and make sure that when you back the trailer up, you seal it, you seal it, it gets into uh, you know, thermostatically controlled environments uh, along the way. So, uh, again, that's going to be very critical for the Moderna and the other and for the AstraZeneca vaccine. So, Chris, one of the things you touched on is there are so many touch points. It's a large operation. Very curious on what is the specific role in working hand in hand, because there's a lot that can go wrong here. So, for example, what's the role for the public sector? What's the role for the uh, private sector? And, you know, when you say the public sector, if you're speaking to government, one of the things I think that is missing is, uh, you know, I, I mentioned this in the pre-show a little bit, is the FEMA. You know, you, we need an overarching logistical control center. And typically FEMA would do that in an emergency situation. I mean, they do that in hurricanes all the time. They pre-position and they have a good logistics capability, right? You know, they pre-position things in, in the event of a hurricane and they take it back later. So again, they do have search uh, capability. They actually have uh, logistics, uh, you know, command and control capability that they should bring to bear. 
Uh, that being said, I mean, you know, hats off to our uh, commercial carriers and the three PLs that we have uh, here in the states and around the world. Like, you know, you can name them off the top of your head. They're phenomenal at, at doing large scale, uh, you know, logistics efforts like this, uh, as well as our U.S. military. So we definitely have the capability. It's all bringing it to bear in the time frame that we have, and that's where it's really going to be a, a. You just mentioned a commercial and a public partnership has to be formed here and formed fairly quickly. I think for the first shipments, as they start getting things going and, you know, that could probably be handled in uh, by the three PLs themselves. But when you start talking, you know, trying to vaccinate, you know, 330 or 340 million Americans, it's going to take a little bit more coordination. Yeah. Who, uh, so, you know, we always talk about this in, in trucking where, you know, you basically, you technically own the freight that you're transporting. Who, who controls all this in, in the big picture? I mean, we're talking about how the public sector is kind of, you know, sort of involved, but then you have the private sector potentially getting its hands in there somewhere. Who owns the channels or the, dis, I guess, who decides where this vaccine goes and gets distributed to? Who's responsible for footing the bill for all these transportation costs? Very good questions. I think some of that is actually in flux right now because, again, we're in the middle of a change of administrations. You have uh, you know, new people being put in charge of all the various agencies. A lot of different agencies are involved, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, you think about it's the Food and Drug Administration to the CDC to, you know, you know Health and Human Services. Uh, the government needs to, and when I say the government, this is uh, federal and state, but primarily federal has to make the call on, you know, what's, you know, what's the triaging, you know, initially. So who gets it, where, do they, you know, what states get it, how much do they get? And I, I think they've got the guidelines down, you know, like get it to the first responders, get it to the healthcare workers, get it to the elderly. And again, then demographics will drive, you know, where those, where the numbers are. And I think given the three PLs that, you know, that the, that the pharmaceuticals are working uh, with, the pharmaceutical companies, I mean, they definitely have the capability to do the initial shipments and, and get, get it for, the, for those uh, players, the initial people that need treated. It, it's the bigger uh, mass uh, vaccines, which are going to have to be distributed primarily, like through the, like I mentioned before, like the, like the pharmacy. You know, I want to go to CVS and get my shot. You know, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, have to. You know what? Go down to the if you like what you did for testing here. You had to go down to the Raymond James Stadium to get your nose swab. You know you can't do that in, in a mass. So we're going to have to get it at the CVS or at the Walgreens. Yeah, that's interesting. It's eventually going to become you know this new normal after we get this initial surge. But uh, it's going to take a while for us to get there. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Don't you think? Um, you know, it just came out that the states are going to be in charge, you know, along the same lines of what we were just talking about. The states, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, but the states are supposedly going to control who gets the vaccine first within each area. Um, what are your thoughts on that versus the national uh, big picture? Uh, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> literally a nightmare waiting to happen because, you know, if you're a logistics provider and you're trying to say, okay, you know, I have to First of all, if you're, you're back all the way up to the shipper, right, it's like they have to be able to pack it for the final destination, right? So, the, you know, you have to have the bill lading on there and the, you know, the freight bill and the air bill and whatever has to be able to say where it's going. So, you, 
those decisions have to be made pretty quickly. Now, again, that the where it's going could be a centralized or regionalized uh, distribution center, but you know which one, right? You know those decisions yeah. still have to be made, and is that going to be the state decided what you know where that is and you know who it is? And getting back to the other question, you know, I mean, the other you know part of your first question was like who pays for it. You know, and again, I think all of that is going to be funded by primarily through the government funding, which we hope some of that gets approved here as uh, Congress before they recess uh, for the holidays. Uh, I think it was already stated in the news or, you know, just today. It's like if that doesn't get approved, then the first shipments have already been approved. They're under, you know, there's enough money for that. But this shipments, the follow on shipments, you know, the money for that has not been approved. And that money will actually flow back to the pharmaceutical companies to help them pay their transportation costs. And the transportation costs won't be known until we know where the freight's going and how it's going, right? So it's just this chicken and egg thing that could really be fixed if the federal government itself would step up. And as I mentioned before, some organization like FEMA or, you know, even the Military Logistics Command, you know, has the capability to do this at a grand scale. Yeah, I saw where Canada actually ordered uh, f four times uh, the amount of their population that needed to uh, <laughs> inoculate their population. That was pretty crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and Chris, real quick, we have, we're, as you know, we're streaming live on LinkedIn, and we have Luke Chalmers here with a quick question, knowing that you are, you know, Power Fleet is an industry leader. One of the questions here we have is just understanding, and if you can break down some of Power Fleet's value add during this crazy time in the pandemic uh, and the distribution, uh, and especially knowing that a lot of farmer carriers are going to have their own platforms, and, you know, maybe there's a lack of mapped and validated temperature control trailers um, throughout this whole process. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our, our value is, again, I, I say this, it's kind of funny, it's like the one throat to choke. You know, there's a lot of carriers out there that are not the mega carriers who can pick and choose their technology and every product that they have. If you want one supplier who can provide you not just one product, we have a family of products for different budgets, for different uh, use cases. So, you know, a chassis is different than a container. A container is different than a drive-in. And by the way, the way you use those can be differently. So you might need a different product at a different price point that can do something different. That all being said, our products were all engineered from the ground up. And I think very specifically set aside, you know, sets us apart from our competition. You know, with my background, the goal was, hey, the freight ultimately will track itself. You know, we, we actually move 15 trillion, you know, dollars worth of goods in the United States every year. And all that freight with the right technology at the right price will track itself. So the carriers ultimately have to track the assets and the shipper and the constantly can track the freight themselves. If you believe that, then our platforms getting back to like the pharmaceutical and the specific problem uh, that we you know, that we're trying to solve now is what's the right solution for what you're trying to do? We have a palletized uh, temperature monitoring system. It's very inexpensive. It's less than $20 a pallet. Sure, there's a mother device that goes with that to consolidate the 26 pallets in a 53-foot trailer. So, again, it's like that's the right solution for pallet or even container-level tracking in the trailer. We also have the refrigerated two-way command and control. So that way we can actually not only monitor the carrier thermokine unit, but we can actually change the temperature if we notice that there was a temperature incursion. By the way, we can preemptively change it if we know you're going to be, example, Phoenix opening the doors on a runway when it's 120 degrees. So you might want to 
pre-cool the trailer down before it actually gets to the transit point. So that way you actually minimize uh, the incursion of when it happens. I mean, those are just some examples. Uh, but what we try and do is getting back to the question, uh, actually the point of, you know, they have their own platforms. That's fine. You know, we integrate with anybody. And, but maybe our mobility platform is the right solution uh, for the specific problem they have. And, you know, customers have picked us. The French Red Cross picked us specifically to help them get COVID and uh, Ebola uh, medicines as well as testing equipment in, into the Congo. And we were phenomenally successful doing that. Yeah, technology can be a huge uh, add-on there. Uh, there's always room to grow there. And Chris, we are running up on time. Uh, how can people get in touch with uh, Powerfleet if they're interested in learning more about what you guys are doing? Oh, I'd lo- love to have them come visit our website, uh, powerfleet.com. Uh, you can always email me, uh, Wolf at powerfleet.com. That's Wolf with an E. Wolfie. All right. Thank you so much, Chris, and have a happy holidays and stay safe out there. (laughs) Yeah, you too. Stay healthy, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. So, uh, you know, a lot. There's so much there. (laughs) So much there. We could have gone on for an hour, Uh, more hours, hours and hours, but we don't have time to do that this week. Um, But Anthony, it is about that time for Secret Santa or White Elephant. Mm. If you're into that kind of stuff, which one would you prefer? Uh, Secret Santa. Uh, that's wrong. Clearly. That's wrong answer. Clearly. You, you're going to get some level of non... It's White Elephant. No. White Elephant or Dirty Santa, as I like to call it. I never even heard of that. You just make that up? No, no. That's exactly what it's called. I'm not Basically, Googling that. I'm scared of what's going to come up here. Your job know. with Dirty Santa is to get the most entertaining gift possible. I'm not Googling. I'm not searching that. Ah, you're not ruining my internet history. If you wanted to have a good Christmas. Of course, socially <laughs> distanced this year. Drink more water. <laughs> Thanks for watching. <laughs>